From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. And today we welcome back Asset Builder CEO, Ken and Gross, and of course, our usual co-host, Michael French, for another installment in our retirement series. Today, we're talking about risks to your retirement and some things that you may not be thinking of. Michael and Adam both discuss in depth four different things that might pose a risk to your retirement that may not be on your mind right now that could save you huge in the long run. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast each and every week. As usual, please email us at podcast at assetbuilder.com for any questions, concerns, or suggestions. All right, without further ado, let's get to the show. Good morning, guys. How are y'all doing today? Great. How are you doing? This is take number two, so hopefully we, uh, <laughs> we'll nail it. We're going to nail it. I promise. Yeah, exactly. So today we're talking about the four, uh, four. Now these aren't the four, right? These are just four big ones. I think they're the four big ones that most people. So without us getting super, uh, instead of without getting super prescriptive, what we're trying to say is is that hey, these are maybe if you're going to put together a scorecard. Have you thought about these four risks? Perfect. Okay. So we're talking about risks to your retirement. These could be... Really, when you think about kind of these four high-level risks from a financial perspective are based off mortality that says, wow, I can either live too long or I can die too soon. That simplifies this idea of mortality and the risks associated with that. But I think Michael's done a great job of thinking about, hey, let's get in depth about what are those four risks and what kind of scorecard you can create along those risks. The, the entire scorecard is basically market and investment risk. Do I have an investment policy that allows me to holistically address those four risks? And what we've done and what we think people need to do is put together a scorecard that says, I've ticked these boxes in some way. We're not going to tell you this is the right way to do it. And we don't try to sell people products. What we simply try to do is create a framework that allows people to think through, have I addressed these risks in a way that is, makes sense and doesn't impact other risks. In other words, have I, um, just as an example, if people think they're going to leave their house to their heirs, but they're also hoping to take out a reverse mortgage to pay for their custodial care at the end of their lives, well, you just have to acknowledge that maybe you're not going to leave a legacy to your kids. You're not going to be able to pass the house along. It's fine, but you just need to understand that that's there. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is what are these risks? And then how should you think through creating a plan to address any one of those risks. What's risk number one? So risk number one, what Kenan talked about, is the risk of living too long, the uh, risk of dying too soon. So early in life, you're always concerned that you might die too soon. People that will be that are dependent on you uh, for financial resources would be impacted. Uh, if you're the primary breadwinner, it's kind of obvious. Nobody would have your salary. Uh, if you're <laughs> a stay-at-home spouse, it's less obvious, but actually a really big impact. Uh, if your wife is a stay-at-home wife, for instance, and she um, takes care of your kids and does everything around the house, if something were to happen to, uh, to her, 
it would cost you a lot of money to replace all the work that she does. There's a lot yeah, of absolutely. studies out there that, that prove that. Um, so that's, that's what we've always thought of as you, as you move into retirement, what's the impact of one spouse dying? Uh, the reality is there's going to be, uh, a social security benefit, for instance, that goes away, the lower social security benefit goes away. Do you guys need that to survive? If so, what would be the plan to replace it? But then the bigger risk that people tend to focus on is what would happen if I simply lived too long? And so a bunch of things, then there are a bunch of little sub risks that we would say, uh, if you live a really long time, uh, what happens as you get to the end of your life and you need custodial care, you need long-term care, you need home health care. Do you have a plan for that? Um, the longer you live, the greater the impact of inflation. And so inflation is a sub-risk, but it's a very big risk that when you don't contemplate, well, what's the effect of rising prices? Well, it means that the dollar you have today won't necessarily be able to buy what a dollar used to buy. So uh, 25 years from now, that dollar is going to buy less. And so that less, uh, over the past 50 years, we could look at 25-year time periods and find that sometimes 25 years from now, I would just need a dollar fifty, And so there wasn't a, a very high rate of inflation to buy what a dollar buys today. But sometimes we would look 25 years in the future and say, I need $3 to buy what it took me a dollar to buy today. Those are big differences. Yep. So do you have a plan for that? Yeah. And I think, Michael, you're starting to hit the nail on the head with regards to what you're kind of, what you called the investment policy. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not an investment policy per se, but it's like a scorecard. Yeah. And it needs to be a scorecard that anybody can employ from the standpoint of generally, uh, if you got an A, people know that you did outstanding. If you got an F, people know that, hey, I didn't do, do so well. And, and the problem is getting an F in retirement uh, is probably a very bad outcome. That's right. And so I think this idea of the scorecard, I think, is the perfect example of, hey, how do we understand that we're going to be okay, right? And and the scorecard helps put it in broad enough terms that it helps us understand we're going to be okay. Now, is this and scorecard only a risk assessment? It's 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 a risk assessment that drives an investment philosophy. Okay. So yeah, that's a good way to put it. So, so when people come in and they say, I would like to, you know, I would like to invest my money 60, 40, I'd like a 60, 40 fund that may be appropriate. And it may not be because what are the risks you're trying to mitigate? What are the risks you're trying to offset? So, um, when we think of the risk assessment and the scorecard, what we're saying is if you address these risks, you will address it by mm -hmm. these other outside products, insurance products, home housing wealth, rental income. And people have all kinds of ways that they're addressing these things, pensions and annuities. Um, once we've answered those questions, then you can say, based on those answers, this is the appropriate investment allocation for you. And so just because two people are 65, 
they may be very different in every other way. One of them may have a younger spouse or an older spouse. One of them may have an inheritance that's coming versus uh, I have a child that I'm going to need to support even after I'm dead. People's lives look vastly different. So yep. when people just say, well, I'm, I'm 65, shouldn't I be in a 60-40? I read that somewhere. It's a great rule of thumb maybe, but maybe it's not it's not holistic enough to actually, as a fiduciary, you couldn't say, and that's right for you. Right. Uh, you would need more information. So how do we know what goes on the scorecard? How, we, how do we know what questions to ask? Obviously, we have these four things. Sure. But I'm sure that's not the only things. So I think it's not the only things, but it's, it really is as simple as, do you have a plan to address these things? So mm -hmm. for instance, if prices, if you had ret retired in 1990, in, uh, sorry, 1970, and you lived to 1995, and prices tripled over your lifetime, would your investment portfolio have allowed you to meet the rising cost of prices? And you can backtest a portfolio and say, yes, this portfolio would, or no, that portfolio would not. Um, somebody, somebody might say, well, I have an annuity, I'm going to be fine. Is your annuity inflation adjusted? If so, what is the inflation adjustment rate that they use? Can it be modified? And so once you begin answering those questions, you're simply able to say, I've addressed, I've addressed inflation. Yep. When you need custodial care at the end of your life, if you need custodial care at the end of your life, I was talking to a client and they said, our assumption based on our culture is that our daughter would take care of us. And I, not trying to pry, but I just said, I asked, is your daughter married? No, not. What would happen if she married somebody from a different culture who had a different view on taking care of parents? Oh, she would never do that. Okay. But do you know that for sure? And they kind of look at each other and they're like, well, she's never even dated anybody. We're not, no, we're not <laughs> sure. So is that a plan? Sure. But do you get an A? Have you absolutely addressed the issue? No. I mean, she might fall in love with a guy who lives in Norway and, you know, she moves there and you, and, and, and so that wasn't necessarily a great plan. Is it a plan? Of course it is. And is it maybe the most solid plan ever? I've lived in cultures where uh, the oldest son was not uh, preferred marriage partner because the cultural expectation was he would take care of his parents. And girls would say, I'm not necessarily sure I want to sign up for that. I don't want to take care of your parents. So the cultural expectation, you know, we might think, huh, that's not a good plan. It, it might be a fine plan, but you need to have a plan and you need to have it documented. This is how we're going to address this issue. Yep. Perfect. So yeah. we've talked about living too long, living too short, custodial care. That's one, two, and three. Uh, and inflation. So th those are all kind of, uh, inflation and custodial care are kind of wrapped up into living too long. What happens if I live too long? One of the other ones is an event risk. And so now if you live in Texas, biggest unexpected risk that is critical is air conditioning. So we have a, I think it's hilarious because we have a really good, high quality, um, what is that insurance policy on your house that if something happens, they'll replace 
the, the microwave or anything that's attached, they'll replace, right? So my wife and I are talking about it. And I'm like, well, we need to renew home that. Home house warranty. Home house warranty. I told Sarah, we need to renew that. And she looks at me and she goes, why? Because the only thing we care about is the air conditioning. And they're going to take two days to get out here. <laughs> and when it's Texas and it's 104, you're not going to wait two days. You're going to pay the $1,000 to get your own guy to come out instead of waiting for the home house. But the point is that if you have to replace an air conditioner, it's a large unexpected, unexpected cost, maybe $20,000, maybe $10,000. What is that number for you? So an event risk is I have a huge unexpected expense. Many times that's related to where you live in the housing and it's not negotiable. You, you, you live in some parts of the country and you're wondering why we're talking about air conditioning. Just come visit in the summer and, <laughs> and you'll stop real. asking that question. Um, if you lived in Minnesota in the winter, you wouldn't argue about replacing the furnace. And so what would happen if you needed access to, let's say, 20% of your normal annual expenditure. That's a good rule of thumb. If all of a sudden I needed 20% of that money to address an emergency, do I have it liquid? And the answer should be yes. That's a liquidity risk. That's an event risk. And it's the same, the, it's, it's, it's one of the liquidity risks that you need to address in your retirement spending policy. And basically the other one is, can I support next year spending? Could I live for 12 months? Do I have 12 months of not liquid cash, but assets that I could sell without having to lose money today? Yeah. So it's kind of like a rainy day fund. Yeah. So non-correlated assets. So just as a, as a simple example, typically when equities go down, uh, long duration treasuries go up, um, especially in extreme times. So if I had a 50-50 portfolio and equity markets go down, well, I know that I can go over here to these treasuries and sell them and they've gone up in value. So do you have an investment policy that would allow you to sell something that is considered a quote unquote winner? during that time period. So that's just event and liquidity risk. Can I provide cash for myself without selling something that's a net loser uh, at the well, time I, I need it? I think just to add to that a little bit, Michael, I think one of the most important parts of that is, is that people, it's, it's important that you think about what delivers cash because oftentimes somebody will have something but there's not a fair market for that. There's not a free market right. for that. Or sorry, free market's probably not the right term, but there's, there's no market for that, right? right? And so if they have their uh, investments in mutual funds, for instance, mm -hmm. you can get that basically next day. If right. it's stock, that's day plus three. If it's a commercial property, you have to find a buyer. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what's happening around you. And it's kind of interesting how many people you see during these booms, like what we've got going on here in Texas with everybody moving down here. Um, the housing market's booming. The real estate market's booming. Anything you can think about, whether you have a lot of people moving into an area, mm -hmm. they're all booming. And so the, the people that you talk to, oh, yeah, my next-door neighbor did X to get money 
right. and so that becomes the new, hey, I want to look into this as an investment strategy. But part of that is, is that, yes, that could be possibly an investment strategy, but it's not going to cover something like what you just talked about, Michael. Yeah. So I think we want to, we want to make sure as we look into retirement that we're not, like Kenan said, uh, a bunch of people are probably paper millionaires. You know, I've got, mm-hmm. I've got, um, equity in my home. That's I'm, I'm flush with cash. Do you have a way to get that money out? You mm-hmm. have a, and, and there are mechanisms, but is that your plan is just the question. Yeah. Um, and then I think the fourth and the, the, the fourth risk that we would say is just tax and policy risk. Um, mm-hmm. You have a new president, a, a, you know, essentially a new administration that um, may have a different view of how we should tax different distributions. So um, can you imagine a world where people said uh, Social Security is not going to be taxed, uh, but anything that comes out of your IRAs, we're going to tax those now at 50%. So the net tax collected by the government will be the same. We're just going to take it from different people. Um, we're going to take it different pro rata. Can you imagine a world where they said, hey, the uh, capital gains tax is going to increase and it's going to be more than what you currently pay when you take money out of your IRA? Um, sure, any of these things are possible. A lot of these things have happened in other countries. It's not uncommon at all. And so for us to say, hey, do I have my money sitting in different Uh, investment vehicles so that regardless of what the tax laws become in the future, I would be able to work with those. And I liken it to, uh, went on vacation with my parents one time when I was a kid and we stayed at this, uh, we were camping, we stayed at this park and uh, you had to pay a quarter to take a shower and you put the quarter in and water came out and there was no hot, there was no cold, there was no water pressure. Uh, it was the shortest shower I'd ever taken because you just, you got in, you got out, right? It was miserable. Yeah, but you were young then. So I was you, young you and didn't I didn't care. care. We were camping. <laughs> I was so happy. Uh, but compare that. That's, that's, I have one place to get money. I have no control over. I just put my money in and water comes out. Compare that to, uh, you know, those showers where you get in, there's not just hot, cold, but there's pressure. There's a, you know, do I want it to massage? Do I want it to pulse? Do I want it to rain head shower? What do I want my shower to be? That's your goal is to have the ability to push as many buttons as possible to control what's coming out. And the reason is there's a significant difference between a 30% tax rate, let's say in a 15. Uh, If you need a dollar, but you have to take a dollar 30 of your assets out to get that dollar, to have the dollar left over after you pay the taxes, that's very different than I have mm-hmm. to take out a dollar fifteen. And so, uh, having the ability to draw money from different places is again part of the scorecard. Do I have not just an IRA but taxable accounts? Do I have money coming from Social Security and from taxable and from an IRA? Do I have a Roth set aside? Um, is just a way. It's a. It's a pretty simple way of saying, yes, I've protected myself against these various potential future tax liabilities. So if somebody wanted to be thorough about addressing these risks, what can they, where can they start? There's a lot of 
there's a lot of information online. I think, yeah. did, did we just, we just talked about the fact that there's like over 17,000 personal finance blogs. Is yeah. that, is that right? Yeah. 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 Um, so what, what you have to be careful of is everybody's got an opinion and you can always have, yeah. you can find something that gives you that confirmation bias. Yeah. I believe X and I found a blog that supports X and look, the guy's a CFA and a CFP. I uh, must be right. Well, I think also, Michael, not to add to what, you know, not to take away from what you're saying, but in addition to the personal blogs, you also have a whole industry of people trying to sell you product. Yeah. Yep. And the product is supposed to make you feel better. Yep. And I don't know that it necessarily does that because it enriches the seller. Yeah. And I think from a high level perspective, what we do uh, up until retirement is we do what's called asset allocation. This mm -hmm. idea that we know that there are different points in time where different parts of the uh, investment world drive a better return versus having all our eggs in one basket. Right. I think one of the things that we've also identified in the past is we call it scattered asset syndrome, mm -hmm. where people right. have their money not working together, but they've got it in different accounts. So they've employed their own uh, diversification strategy, except right. for it's basically all coming. If you looked at that investment of all those together, they're all doing the same thing. So you really don't have an asset allocation strategy. We have a generation going in retirement that they only understand returns, and mm -hmm. uh, at mm -hmm. least they're educated to that point. Um, yeah. So I think really in retirement, one of the key things is um, stability of income. You know, can you define working together where all those points of income are coming from, and then how stable are they? Because are they affected by inflation? Are they affected by policy risk? Are market returns, market returns, yeah. those kinds a lot of things. Of people, most people have only thought of one thing their entire life, right. market returns. Yep. And now you're saying, hey, by the way, that's one of four moving parts. It's the, it's the one that maybe encompasses the other four, but it's really not the only thing you need to think about. And what's interesting is you say, well, is there anything people can do? I would suggest that you talk to a fiduciary. And I, the reason I would suggest that is... I have spoken to people who, personal friends, who say, Michael, you're unbiased, you care about me, would you tell me what you would do in this situation? And I'm more than happy to, of course I will. Um, I'm, I'm doing that as a friend who's going to you know, hang out with you, not as a fiduciary, but as a fiduciary, you want to have somebody who is looking out for your best interest. Uh, because the guy who's writing the blog the man or woman, the person writing the blog has an interest in you clicking and reading and coming back. They're selling advertising. The person who's selling you a financial product is incentivized to sell you the financial product. It doesn't mean the product's bad. It doesn't mean the product's good. It means simply that they have a financial incentive to sell it to you. And a fiduciary is somebody who has a legal obligation to make sure they're giving you the best advice for you within the framework of all of these other moving parts. And that's really what you need. Perfect. So to sum it up, what's our four points? Oh, the four risks. So the four risks, sorry. No, uh, go back to uh, Longevity or mortality risk. I'm going to live too long. I'm going to die too soon. Health. In the time that I am alive, I'm going to experience health risks. 
um, events, liquidity? Am I going to be able to access the cash that I need? And then tax and policy. The government can change tax rules. Do I have a plan that addresses all of those? And then encompassing all of those, to wrap all of those up, you have a market and investment policy that addresses each one of those, all of those holistically together. Anything good? No, that was like perfect. I, you know, I'm glad we were recording that. I'm going to use that, I think. I'm going to write that one down. We're going to use that one again. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Thank okay. you, Jared. Thanks, Jared. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.